Well, good morning. I'm Julie Coleman, and um, this is my husband, Steve, and we are both members of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. And together, we've been teaching a series this month on God's church, an organism after God's own heart. And we're working through four principles that we developed some years ago, actually, uh, to describe New Hope Chapel. First was the first week we identify with Jesus Christ. He's our focus. He's our reason for being. He's all in all, as we just sang. Uh, the second principle was last week. We use God's word as our guide because it is, after all, the most um, authoritative uh, written word that we have. And we believe, this week we'll be talking about, we believe God brings people to the local church. He supplies gifts for the operation of the body. He supplies the strength and he supplies uh, the love. And we expect our leaders for next week will be to trust God and model humility, dependency on God, and to serve the body. So today, as I said, we're going to focus in on that third principle, which is all about community. I love that word, community. What God created to support growth and to develop maturity in all of us. As the writer of Hebrews urged, not <coughs> forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We were created to be in community. It's part of how we're designed. It's how we're put together. Um, but being a part of the body can sometimes be discouraging. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It sure has to me. Um, ministry can be exhausting. Ask Steve and I how late we stayed up last night. Exhausting! <laughs> And people can be very difficult. It's very easy to feel unappreciated and maybe even insignificant. Well, we're going to be talking today and using the words church, the body of Christ, and body. And uh, they all are generally going to refer to the same thing. That is, uh, the group of people that have believed on Jesus for salvation. And, and whom the Lord has saved and, and given the Holy Spirit to. So that's, when you hear those words, that's generally what we're talking about. And the context will let you know if it, we're talking about a local group, a group like ours that sort of meets together, or sort of uh, uh, all Christians. So we're going to take a look at how God designed the body, the church, to function. It's a community where any person can fit in and belong and matter. It may be filled with ragtag group of insignificance, but when we are working together, they are used by God to impact his kingdom. I want to start off by talking about a guy I learned about recently who probably felt insignificant for most of his life. His name was Dabri Dabrev, a man who lost most of his hearing in the Second World War. He traveled tw a 12-mile round trip every day for decades from his Bulgarian village, wearing his homemade clothes and rough leather shoes, to the capital city of Sofia, where he spent every day begging for money. It was a trip he made by foot until shortly before his death at 103 years of age this last February. You know, it was eventually discovered that Dobry was donating every penny he collected, over $52,000 in total, toward Bulgarian orphanages, monasteries, and churches. 
All during that time, he lived entirely off his state pension of about $100 a month. I wonder if he could ever have imagined when he began that one insignificant, mostly deaf old man would collect tens of thousands of dollars from his fellow citizens. There is no predicting the impact of our actions when we just do what we can. It's how the body of Christ operates as well. God can take the most meager contribution to create an eternal impact. So we're going to take a look at this organism called the church and see what God has in mind for us because there is something very powerful about a local gathering and it makes it well worth our time and participation. So uh, we're looking to start with at a big, great passage written by Apostle Paul to a local body of believers in Corinth. And that body was extremely dysfunctional. The church was full of division and competition, which is not surprising because what we learned at the culture of the first century uh, Corinth, people were fixated on achieving a respectable social status. Um, a lot of them were freed slaves and that, that got repopulated by the, um, the Greeks, and so success was a serious business for them. And both of those things were all about who you knew, how to use those connections to get ahead, and about accumulating much wealth as possible. People sought honor for themselves wherever and however they could get it. But while that dog-eat-dog attitude uh, was strong in the city, it was actually should have been opposite in the church, opposite of, because it was opposite of what God wanted for his community. His design for the church was love and selflessness and the equal value of every member. So he guided Paul to write this passage that we're about to read to get the Corinthian church to a better place. So I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 12. We'll have it up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, it's a good idea to open it because we're going to be kind of skipping around. It'd be good to have it in front of you. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For... Uh, to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the gifting of, gifting of ministries, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet as many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Let's pray to get us off to the right start. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help in this passage. <clears throat> we want to know exactly what it is you have to say to us today. Please guide us, Lord, as we work through and um, guide our words and um, help us to present and think clearly so that your message would not be impeded. And we just thank you for your presence here and for the love that you give us always. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so did you notice all the repetition in this thing? That's one of the key things you do when you're studying the Bible. Look for what's repeated. Paul's pretty obvious in what he's trying to emphasize here. He keeps repeating the same Spirit, or the same Lord, or the one Spirit. Did you hear those? Over and over again. Well, while those in the surrounding community were working to impress people with their status, Paul was directing them, start thinking differently. Move away from your own self-importance and think in terms of what you have in common. They were all saved by grace and not merit. In the Lord, they were all the same. What qualified to them to be part of the body was being in Christ alone. That's it. So throughout the first century world, though, it was thought that only people in very close touch with the divine would receive ecstatic experiences. So those that were in with the gods, they would throw themselves around, they'd be speaking gibberish and doing all kinds of bizarre things to show how spiritual they were and how, how much the gods were uh, working with them. Um, that desire to appear spiritual had the Corinthian church thinking that speaking in tongues was the most valuable gift. So Paul began this section of the letter to debunk any notion of self-importance. He begins with the section with three parallel phrases. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things. So just look at what happens here. So the gifts, our spiritual gifts, are from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Everyone who believes in Jesus has the Holy Spirit living in them, and his presence brings us new life, and the presence also makes us a new creation. And spiritual gifts, any spiritual gift we may have, is absolutely an outward manifestation, an exhibition of the Holy Spirit in us. That's what it is. And opportunities that, that uh, and using that gift to serve are again from God, from the Lord. Any good gifts or any results of any ministry that we might do or use our, our spiritual gifts are a work of God. So Paul's clarifying. Every good thing that happens in the body is because God did it. God did it. So no one can take credit for anything. And notice here that he named all three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father. Isn't that interesting? The whole Trinity is involved in equipping the church. It's through them that anything spiritual act spiritually actually happens. So trying to make any kind of spiritual gift into some kind of personal accomplishment is just wrong, ridiculous. And how do those gifts get distributed? Well, Paul made that clear in his summary verse in verse 11. He says this, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Paul says each one. So that means everyone who has the Spirit has a spiritual gift. And we note how deliberately he distributes them. Purposefully. He's handed out each one just as he wills. So in recent years, we've said a lot of goodbyes here at New Hope Chapel. Sad, but true. We've, we've had a lot of people. I mean, we had one couple move out west, somebody else move up to Pennsylvania, and we've lost people here and there that have really been a wound for us. We have been sad. We have grieved their loss. 
And uh, it was heart-wrenching, it was for me anyway, and um, to see them go. And I kind of wondered, how are we going to go on without them? We, can't, we come to depend on them for things. Um, but as we grieved, even as we grieved, um, they're leaving. Steve and I would always remind ourselves, this is God's church. He will give what we need when we need it. He will enable us to continue, and he'll bring more people to fill in the holes that were left behind. Because there is a master plan. Ephesians 2.10 says that there are good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Nothing takes him by surprise. He knows what he's doing. He's moving people around like pieces on a chessboard to, to obey and to, uh, to fulfill his will. And he's very purposeful in what he does. You know, that's such a great foundational truth. And uh, as we looked at the things to cover about the body of Christ, it was very clear that we weren't going to be able to cover much. <laughs> so we had to pick a couple, three things to talk about. Well, uh, what I was studying is that if the body is operating as it should, as God intends it, it'll be a safe place to be. Uh, God says to us in 1 Corinthians 12, 24, beginning in verse 24, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. One part is honored, every part rejoices with it. As Julie's told us, God has put together the body. It's his design, it's his plan. He's the one that brings the fruit and the, the eternal work that gets done on the spiritual plane. Uh, and you have been placed securely in that body. In these verses, the design of the body results in the body experiencing a particular oneness. We get woven together into a whole. This would have been a new concept to a group raised to believe that it's every man for himself. There's competition and division. There were divided loyalties. Uh, Paul says at the beginning of this letter, one group says, we follow Paul, another. We follow Apollos, and yet a third, we follow Christ. Their lack of unity was creating such a problem in how they were treating each other. And you can see it as you walk right through the letter, through the various chapters. There was no safety to be found in that church. Paul indicates here that the, the body must have equal concern for each other. We should be so connected with each other that we hurt when a person suffers and we're happy when they're honored. We sometimes use the word empathy to talk about this level of connection, being invested in other people to the point that their pain becomes our pain. That's unusual to find in the world. We're supposed to be masters at it in the body of Christ. It is identifying with them. It is valuing their needs at least as much or more than our own needs. It is a solid foundation of and is characteristic of love, God's love. Paul also says elsewhere, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others 
above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What's the result of a body that takes that to heart? The church becomes safe and comfortable, like a home. It reflects our experience with Jesus, doesn't it? He invites us to him, offering comfort when we feel confused, afraid, and hurt. It's often been noted that over 20 times in the Gospels, Jesus tells his followers not to be afraid. We are safe with Jesus. We're safe to ask him into the deepest parts of our lives. And this may be a new thought to you, but follow me here. It is also safe to fail with Jesus. He is faithful to grant us mercy and restore us to himself every single time. Look at Peter's denial of Christ. He experienced spectacular failure. But before Peter denied Jesus, Jesus told him, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have returned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter was devastated after his sin and felt the hot shame and guilt. But because of those words, he had evidence that Jesus was already looking ahead to restoring him even before he sinned. Jesus didn't want him to sin, but he made it safe. Peter never had reason to think he was outside of the love of God even after denying Jesus three times. If we are living for Christ and becoming more like him, then we must be careful how we view and treat other people, particularly those who are weaker than we are, those who question their faith, those who struggle with ongoing problems, or those who fail. It's so easy to judge them to give them the cold shoulder, to write them off, or to shame them. But we experience too much of that already in the world, don't we? On our jobs, in school, everywhere. Instead, God designed his body to operate in unity and with love. The members of the body coming alongside people who struggle and suffer, listening to them, encouraging them, seeking to restore them. The body must be a safe place to fail. A body that does that will be a safe place for everyone. Safe for people to be genuine and show their fallibilities and failure. One of our prayers since coming to these, committing to these principles has been that we would be a body like that. And we need to continue down the road of doing that. Because when we're a safe place, the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And the way we get there is to stop thinking like independent individuals and start thinking like parts of a whole. In the church, we have to understand that we need each other. I'm going to read a little bit further in 2 Corinthians. It says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, uh, I'm sorry, I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less of a part of a body. And if the ear says, Because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body, It's not for this reason to be any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. 
And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Bottom line, Paul's point here, we need each other. There was this fable popular in the first century, um, which they would have known about, that uh, was, was a fable about the parts of the body. And the parts of the body all got together, the hands and the arms and the feet and the legs and the mouth and all that, and they decided that the stomach was just sitting there doing nothing. He did nothing to earn their respect or the fact that they were feeding him night and day, all the energy they were expending. So they were going to starve him out. And no more were they going to feed the stomach. Well, you can guess how that happened, what happened with that. They all very quickly found out how dependent they really are to the stomach because they all needed to be regularly fed. In the body of Christ, every function is needed. No job is unimportant. An illustration of that we can uh, learn every time the New York City garbage men go on strike. It happens every few years. They're looking for a new contract. I remember a 17-day strike in 1981. It was all over the news because there were more than 100,000 tons of garbage on the streets and alleyways of New York City. Um, the city's Board of Health declared a public health emergency because of the health and fire hazards as stacks of refuse collected on the streets. The rats got very bold, too. I read one article about a woman who was actually attacked by a herd of them. I don't know if it's true or not, but there it was in the paper. Just as we depend on the distasteful job of keeping our community running, the church should view each person's gift as necessary. I'm willing to bet that New York City does not take their garbage workers for granted anymore. Every person is significant, and every person is more than significant. They're needed. It really is an ingenious design, if you think about it. Our interdependence will keep us from destructive pride and will keep us uh, from being a group that's a safe, that it will keep us from not being a safe place to be. And it's in line with what Jesus taught continually. Um, when they had two disciples approach him and they wanted to be sitting on his right hand and his left when he was ruling in the kingdom, this is his response. He said, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And later on in that same conversation, he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Um, and then at the Lord's Supper, after he had washed the disciples' feet in an act of service and servanthood, he told them this, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not that way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become the youngest. And the leader, like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Oh, and I am among you as the one who serves. So that's Jesus' take on servanthood. Our Savior was the ultimate servant, living completely in self-sacrificing love. So service is a big part of following in his footsteps. We are to be a body of servants. There's no hierarchy in the church. 
we're equal because we're all servants. Paul wrote the Ephesians that they were to submit to each other in, five, in Ephesians 5.21. Being subject to each other is, not, is only possible among equals. Mutual submission should be the pattern for all Christians. So that means that no one is more important than anybody else. It also means that there are no insignificant persons in the body of Christ. Everyone is important and everyone is here to serve the others. It really is the leveling power of the cross at work in the Christian community. When Christians love to the extent of serving each other, they are subordinate to each other. And as a body, the interest and welfare of fellow believers becomes our primary concern. Now, years ago, I did some uh, retreats a couple years in a row for a church up in Baltimore, right on the city line. And the girls told me um, about their pastor and what kind of a servant he was. His name was Larry, and he regularly showed up in the sleaziest bars in downtown Baltimore, the worst of the worst. And he would go around and shake hands with each of the patrons and hand out his, his card. And then after he was finished meeting everyone and greeting them, he would say, well, I'm going to go now and show the love of Christ in a practical way. And he would take a mop and a bucket and scrub down those sleazy bathrooms. That's what he would do. Now, you might think that that's kind of a strange way to be a mission field, or <laughs> to be at a mission field. But you know what? People flocked to that church. Prostitutes came. Drug addicts came. Alcoholics came. People that knew they needed what Larry had. Being a servant is the greatest mission tool of all. They saw something in him that was worth pursuing. Spiritual gifts are not given to us to promote ourselves or to give us some self-esteem or something. God's, Paul said in the Romans, another passage on spiritual gifts, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Our gifts are not for us. They're for each other. Well, we've talked about the way God designed the body and the implication of just a few of its design features. Uh, we stress the importance of God's action in placing each of us into the body. Uh, and giving each of us a spiritual gift. So our job becomes uh, to be in prayer about where God wants us and what he's asking us to do to contribute to his body. Remember, God takes what we think is insignificant, weak, beyond our abilities, and he does mighty things with it. Expect him to lead you. Anticipate him using you. If he wants to do that, he will. You know, if you're interested in getting some tips on how to discover your spiritual gift, you can see one of us after this uh, service. But God also wants the body to be unified and its members to have equal concern for each other and great care. He's looking for you and me to be deeply connected and invested in each other. The results of that are that the body becomes a place of honesty and genuineness, a place of shared journeys. Your significance in the body is guaranteed. God's placed you in the body and made you necessary to the body by giving you a spiritual gift which, combined with your personality, your experiences, your skills and abilities, it makes your contribution absolutely unique. 
God is going to take our little contribution and He's going to get eternal results. Mm-hmm. question for you and me is, what am I willing to do to help encourage this body? Well, in closing, I'm just going to play a brief video clip about a boat owner and what he did during the attack on the Twin Towers in New York City on September 11. A hero is a man who does what he can, says that. I thought I was watching a movie, Towering Inferno at first, and then I looked real close and I noticed it was the World Trade Center. I was compelled because I'm a type of person that can't stand by and watch other people suffer. And to me, they were suffering. They wanted to get off the island. And there was no way for them to get off the island other than the water. And I had noticed when I was watching the television, I saw a lot of, you know, the ferries going up into the slips and taking people off. I said, fine, we could do the same thing. I could take people on my boat, get in there, take them where they have to go. And that's what we did. On the morning of September 11th, when the towers came down, millions of people ran for safety. Hundreds of thousands of them ran south to the water's edge. That's when they realized that Manhattan is indeed an island and that they were trapped. They were feeling helpless. And that's the worst feeling in the world. What was a person on the ground gonna do? Buildings were down. There were people laying under the rubble of the building. Firemen, civilians. My wife was there, and I turned around. I says, I've got to go do something. Just like that. And she looked at me. She says, what are you going to do, you maniac? I says, I'm going to take the Amberjack up into the city and help. She says, but what if they're attacked again? I says, well, then that's something I have to live with. I says, I have to do what I have to do. I says, and nobody can stop me right now. Even if I save one person or I rescue one person, that's one person less that will suffer and die. A very admirable man, Vincent Ardolino. He was the captain of a boat in Sheepshead Bay. So in response to this horrific scene, uh, his thought was, I've got to do something. He's willing to take his boat over to help anyone he could get off the island. Thousands of other boat owners responded later to a call from the Coast Guard to assist in ferrying people off the island. It ended up being a part of the largest evacuation by boat in history. 500,000 people were removed from the island in about nine hours. Uh, By contrast, uh, in Dunkirk there were about 300,000 and they were taken off over the course of nine days. But this is a a good illustration of the fact that in the body of Christ, people that have God's heart uh, are, are people who do what they can. God will take that service, will take that effort. We'll use the connectedness we have each other. We'll, We'll take what we can do, and he's going to take that and achieve his purposes. 
Don't know why he lets us participate in his work, but he's invited us to do that and, and does.